Hey guys, it's episode 58, and today we welcome Marlo Fiskin on the Passive Hang. Marlo is a movement teacher residing in Virginia, USA, and she's very well known within the pole dance world, being an early innovator there. Marlo describes her work as being centered around teaching fluidity in motion, and she primarily uses the tools of the pole and the floor to help others experience her perspective. This is a great conversation around self-expression, embodying the qualities that you are practicing, and other topics such as her youthful movement plan. We're going to get started. I'll see you in there. Hey guys, it's Fayon here. Welcome back to The Passive Hang. I am glad to welcome Marlo Fiskin onto the podcast, who is uh, the founder of Flow Movement. I've stalked you on your website and then on your Instagram profile and a movement teacher. But I wanted to ask you actually, how do you like introducing yourself? You know, if maybe you met like a person at a party and they were like, what do you do? I often say I teach movement and I, I leave it at that at first. Um, but often the questions, they, they look at me doing something or they look at my arms and they say, what do you do? And so it's usually because they're suspicious about what I do. Like I'm the only person squatting in a room or <laughs> hanging from something. So yeah, I teach people to move. I teach people to how to play something to that effect. Yeah. Nice. And do you, I can imagine you like in this party where everyone's sort of standing up like you'd be the only one kind of uh bouncing around a bit hanging out in a bit of a squat just just moving and grooving right pretty much <laughs> if everybody's standing up uh i'm usually leaning on something or down in a squat and then if everybody's sitting down i'm the one standing up so pretty much <laughs> look for the person at the different level or laying on something and that would often be me um, I had more than one person when I lived in New York City identify me from a distance on the subway tracks because of how I was waiting for the train. They're like, oh, there's Marlo. <laughs> and then they'd come confirm their, uh, their assumption that that was probably me based on, yes, my, my squat or whatever I was doing, swinging my arms wildly. <laughs> and for those who are new to you, to you. Uh, I do recommend to jump onto at least, you know, your Instagram profile and have a bit of a look around because there is like a, a playfulness that really shines through with a lot of the um, content that you share. And I wanted to ask you whether that playfulness was something that you cultivated or something that maybe you just grew up with from childhood. Well, I even, even as, as a child, I would gather all the kids in the neighborhood and ask them to come over and I was going to like choreograph and costume them and put on a production. So there was certainly always a willingness to get other people moving and to a little bit be in charge of it, <laughs> to be the director uh, in some way. And I think over time, moving out of the childhood years, it just became very apparent that the thing that would be probably of the greatest benefit isn't just moving but to get people on that the edge of laughter doing it mm -hmm. um so or if we if we start to do something and it you know it is it is quite grounded and connected and it's um 
there's 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 not the the lightness of of humor to it that there's always that opportunity um so <laughs> i think yeah it's it's been something that i i have i used to work in gyms and teach fitness classes in gyms and that that area it's a little less pay, playful culturally um but i would try to try to look for the moment to to get people doing something that they did not expect and uh so yeah, it kind of became a defining approach. I think it, it also keeps me inspired. Like if it gets serious, then I'm, I'm likely serious for too long. I'm likely to get that sense of like burnout or um, I don't feel as creative, creatively awakened alive mm -hmm. in, my, in my work. So it certainly keeps me inspired. It's an interesting point that you raised, right? Like uh in gyms there's a lot of you know people with serious faces they're like pumping the weights in front of the um in in the mirror or even, even myself like say doing handstand practice there's like huge bouts of time where you're like got to focus got to really like just concentrate and there's there's not really that too much emphasis on that that sense of like i'm gonna be you know play my way around here so it's uh yeah, it's great to hear this this sort of take. But um, I guess the question there is normally, or maybe it's almost like the uh, the approach of of playfulness is like sometimes when you feel like with your practice, if you play around too much, then you won't really get anywhere. You know, it's like okay, I got like um, a system or a process now. I set my mind to it, and then I'll be able to achieve the the potential of what I'm setting out to be. Right. Um, so how do you sort of, what's your take on that? How do, how do you balance that between, um, you know, losing direction and just playing versus like still focusing? Yeah. I mean, I think that depends a bit on the, the personality of the individual. If someone is someone who is really struggles to stick to a plan, to be consistent, to, you know, get motivated enough to, to be in movement, then maybe they'd need more structure at first. But certainly for a lot of people, they've been so conditioned into um, structure, form, rigidity when it comes to movement that leaving that behind more frequently is probably a key to them actually realizing their greatness or their individuality when it comes to movement. Um, that they really can be restrained or constrained from uh, being overly attached to a linear path or to their, their program. Um, so it, it depends who the mover is, of course, like how, how uh, taking more opportunities for, I don't, you know, play, I don't, almost don't want to use the word play because play has also become something that's prescriptive. Like we're doing an exercise and now we're going to do play because we know that play does this for us. And it's like, this is the activity and these are the benefits and we want those benefits so we can extract them. But like for me at, at the gym, when I, when I'm doing something and I realize this, there's, there's something that's a little ridiculous to it, or there's an opportunity to create something um, that shows the the levity or the unseen potential of let's say a machine that i'm playing with that i normally would never go to for the purposes of working out because i know other things that would if i whatever i want to happen like work out my legs or my abs i know a lot of ways to do that that don't involve a machine 
but this here machine has all these other potentials that people haven't seen. And that really um, brings me to life and it keeps me moving for far longer. So I find that people, when people fall into playfulness um, and it, 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 keeps them in motion for, for longer than if we were to say, we're going to play like a prescriptive game. We're going to play catch for 10 minutes, but it, when it just naturally arises, mm. then that's a different effect. It's like the natural expression of, of play or playfulness versus like a, a transactional play, right? It's like, I'm going to, um, yeah, do my 10 minutes of play and get, get the same benefits as if I was to naturally express play. Sounds a bit ridiculous when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I certainly see people, the beauty is, um, that the, I think once you start, even if it's rather prescriptive at first, it does start to feel good and you might end up tipping into a flow state through a play, even if it was prescriptive. And it reminds me of, you know, the same way that changes in our physiology will change our emotional state, like making yourself smile. Eventually you do start to feel better <laughs> for the most part. So it's kind of could be the same with play, but um, I think that when it comes to, you know, I've been a competitive mover and did these pole dance competitions and the great insights into my piece would happen when I would maybe start doing my routine, but to a piece of music that's like completely unreasonable for something I would ever dance to. Like a song that would be uh, uh, like almost embarrassing to dance to or a totally different tempo and started almost making fun of what I had created to mm. see, because, because when you're in a competitive state, it's extremely taxing. Like you're kind of end up being a wretched person, the closer you get to competition for most people, because you're, you're so, so stressed and so focused on this one performance that you're going to do. And everything is about your piece and what's going to happen on stage. And really important insights would come from when I create these opportunities to stop taking it so seriously. Um, I like that. It's yeah. like there, there's a place for this frigidity to, to laser focus, but then sometimes these insights or these realizations can happen when you let go of the rigid lines to let like new stimulus in, or I'm sure when you did that, maybe then some new movement happened or you did some new transition, right? And you're like, Oh, that was pretty nice. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like if you can imagine whatever it is that you're about to do as a skit, like, I don't know if you have a workout and it's written out and you, you can look at it. All right. This is what I'm going to do today. This is going to take about an hour. And, but if you were to look at it as if you were watching a, a performance of, of an interpretation of this later on, um, you know, there's, I tend to find some interesting things as a result of that. Like my class plan, okay, we're going to do this stuff on the floor and then we're going to learn this move on the pole. But um, what are, what are the potential outcomes that I'm not planning for? And could I actually direct people there? Mm -hmm. So the unexpected. how does it look for maybe like your current training right now? Like you, do you have a, a, a training plan and does that, um, how fluid is that, if, if at all? Yes, um, it's always quite fluid because if it's not, then I 
pretty much guaranteed to feel uh, dissatisfied at the end, <laughs> right? <laughs> because especially though actually teaching on Zoom, my ability to set expectations around how long things are going to take is, is far worse than it is in person mm. because it's, yeah, just the, there's, I can't get, I can't pick up information from all around me like I can in the classroom. So, um, so it has to be fluid. The, when I started teaching on zoom, I would find myself after class sitting in the corner, like with, with my eyes wide, not blinking, no thoughts, no feelings. And then eventually realizing that didn't feel good. And it's because there was no feedback and, and my estimations of how it was going were, <laughs> they didn't exist. I couldn't tell if it was good, bad, anything. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, that has required that I start even playing with my own delivery more. Yeah. I guess the last couple of years has been challenging for a, a lot of us, but even more so for like a, a physical arts sort of teacher, like normally you'd be there, you'd be able to touch them in certain places sometimes to help guide them through. Right. And then in zoom, I know this because like I do capoeira online at the moment and the teacher must have such a hard time because everyone gets reduced to like a <laughs> three by three pixels yeah. square and you know he's trying to give guidance with how you're kicking and must be like uh, but there's like 12 other people as well all, all at the same time it must be yeah how have you managed to cope um i mean it, it is it is challenging right the but <laughs> at the same time it works surprisingly well. It's both really hard and can be really effective that people don't even have to leave their homes and they can come to you from all over the world and learn. And so I'm so, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, I have, the, when you teach through Zoom, your class has, has to often have a lot more presentational feel to it than I do in person because I have to be so far away from the, the video in order for my whole body to be in it that I can't also be seeing anyone else. And that is, that's hard. That, um, that is literally how I train myself not to be as a teacher. Like I've put in a lot of work and it's very important to me that class is not the teacher just talking and demonstrating very much of the time at all. But on Zoom, that has to be what you're doing because you can't, I mean, even if you're inviting everyone to do it with you, as I do, I don't really have confirmation that that's happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I can't take a pause and change my words, reshape my words or the, act, the actual thing that I'm doing to guarantee that people are with me. Um, so... <laughs> that's uh, new challenges, but it is interesting kind of having to revert to a mode of teaching that I really worked to, to not do. That was the, a more classic pedagogical approach is where a teacher talks at length about what they're doing and then says, okay, now you try, which is often way too yep. much information for people to actually mm -hmm. absorb to, you know, much smaller bite-sized things, a lot more doing together yeah yeah i guess that is like the really interesting challenge because it is it is what it like they they have to sort of watch the instruction and then you have to watch them to be able to give the the feedback it kind of can't work at the same time right so um it is interesting with this pedagogical approach i mean like in in person so how do 
you mentioned sort of like a, a class plan before, um, you know, do you have a certain structure which you like to run classes that you think through beforehand? If, you know, if someone was to come to like a, a, a typical class with you, how, how would it sort of run through? Well, I have these big pieces of paper. Now I know this is a podcast and most people can't see, but I end up with <laughs> these large newspaper, newsprint size outlines. And um, generally there's always about, you know, one song or one portion of class that's really just landing, like uh, basic things that tend to be, um, help people ground land in their bodies, sense their breath. So that might be things like weight shifting, even some kind of like self-touch, whether it's like massage, skin brushing, um, various things where you're just walking through space and like what you're seeing, what you're noticing. So those are uh, something I bring into the class opening and then um, things that generate heat rather quickly, balance things with high tension, like to get people warm getting that sense and it's not even about I don't even like the word warm up because I think that that people have too many ideas about what that is but literally to feel a sense of work building in their body to to feel a state change like they're settled and now they're in control of going into the working state Um, I, I do work with many people who don't like to work out like the, the idea of exercise or the idea of working out is distinctly unappealing to them. And it's precisely why they have fallen into either pole dance or they're attracted to my work with like the floor yet in order to do things that most people are wanting to do, we do need <laughs> to condition. We do need to get stronger and we need to befriend the sensations of our body working hard right? Some of maybe that are unfamiliar for people or disconcerting where it's like, okay, whether it's muscle burn or even the sensations of tissues lengthening, it's, they're often unfamiliar sensations and they're, and they're sensations that people have steered away from because they mm-hmm. have, they, they are not, they don't know how to befriend this, that sensation. So things that bring people into a, a good relationship with those sensations in the beginning, often through a lot of um, you know, imagery and how I'm asking them to, to feel what's happening. Mm. And then, um, yeah. And then some skill building things with opportunities to also play with a skill. So as we're doing something where there's a particular way that you're going into and up from the floor, that is, there is an optimal method to it that, and the, the optimal comes from, you know, your bodily organization, your relationship to gravity. I'll also often also build an experiential like game or a little bit of a test they can do to, to discover what works and what doesn't, because just handing them a, a movement or a technique um, alone, I, I think is tends to have people struggle to apply it in improvisational context or to even see the opportunities for it in their daily life. But if once you start to play with it and kind of gamify it and have them discover this is what makes it work and this is what makes it not work, um, rather than me just telling them that, then I think the, the learning is more valuable that way. And then hopefully get people to interact and talk about what they discovered. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's a nice little class flow. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a few interesting things that I want to pick out there. I mean, um, with how you were saying like the gamify thing. So is that almost like if we do use maybe a, an easy to imagine scenario mm -hmm. for, for people, uh, would that be like you show a certain transition or skill to get up and down from the floor, but then when you tell them to practice it, it's not just to exactly copy you, but to um, present it as a, a sort of task with a certain number of constraints? Um, it could be this way. So, um, you know, let's say, I think people will be familiar with, if we're doing a handstand, handstand, kicking up one leg, landing on the same foot, right? There is a placement for your landing foot that will give you more eccentric control, right? De depending on where your landing foot is coming down and depending on your particular mobile mobility profile, your famili familiarity with the skill, there's going to be some landing positions that are harder to control. Like they come down heavier or something to this effect. So, um, there, you can build a game around testing out different landing spots for, for your foot, but also trying to figure out the ones that don't work on the first few tries and then do it three times there. So mm. try it, find, find out your edge. Cause that's another thing that I really want people to befriend like their edges. So we notice where not where it's an utter failure, but where, you know, where do you start to lose control? Where is that spot when your foot is coming down? Let's say it's now I'm trying to put it like out towards the right on a diagonal and I'm coming down heavily rather than just check marking that as, oh, that I don't, I can't do that. Check mark. Don't go there. No, no. Stay there and try it again. How can you reorganize yourself mm. um, and potentially find a way to have more control because often we're, we're very quick to decide that something didn't work and then to to drive away from it again so um it could be uh something like that and another one is i don't know what you would call if you're seated and you put your hand beside you and you're coming into this like collapsed shoulder forearm hand would you have a name for that that you use uh it's it's kind of just like a side entry into the floor uh, like i know what you okay. mean you're kind of going into like a, a fetal position like a fetal position right i call it the hand sandwich mm -hmm. it's like your shoulder your hand and your thigh are all quite close together um and frequently people are far too open you know they put their hand like too far away and so their shoulder like slams the floor if they're not really paying attention to it so um, you know, getting people to put their hand in all as far away as they can and still pull themselves into this compact position because people will start to associate like um, a very particular body arrangement as the only possible way to pull it off with control. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what, since I am known for and, and love to teach fluidity, like I'm teaching people how to manage weight transfer, how to, you know, shift weight, how to enter and exit the floor in a, a, the smoothest way possible, um, then we are looking for where we aren't so sure that we can be smooth and spending some time exploring that to expand our capacity. Yeah, this is really interesting. It's like um, mapping the nether regions, right? It's like the, the, the regions <laughs> yes. of where I lose control, but instead of going like, I only want to specialize or perfect the 
area where I feel most in control, I'm going to go towards um, the the areas where it's like, oh no, that's unfamiliar. That's uh, that doesn't feel right. But potentially with practice, maybe it does start feeling more familiar. I know, especially for me, you know, like going over backwards, it's like just a very unnatural thing. Anything is sort of in extension and. Um, uh, that's, that's something that I know that I avoid and um, I, I purposely do a few tasks as well to try and like, yeah, like map that part where I go, okay, maybe I'm okay. Yeah. Still a long way to go, but it, it's part of my um, play with sort of almost like the fear, fear and emotions, which I'm trying to focus on as well, because it's like, I don't want to be scared or, be uh be avoiding a certain part which i know potentially i just have the wrong idea about mm -hmm. yeah exactly i like mapping the nether regions <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i do i kind of visualize it as um you know your your bubble of capacities that you already have mm -hmm. and then there's this the, the edge where things are Maybe just you haven't even thought of it. They're unfamiliar. Maybe there's fear associated with that. Maybe there's like past injuries that register in some of those areas and kind of massaging your way into it. And this is where the playfulness becomes really important because when people aren't performing very well, I'm using the air quotes around well, like they're, they're kind of off balance. Things are wobbly. The, the mechanics feel disjointed. Um, you know, it wouldn't be something that you would videotape and share. Often the emotions that come with that are some flavor of shame and insufficiency, like I'm not good. So then if we're having those feelings about working on things that are at the edges of our capacity, like we're even less likely to go out there. But when you're in a state where you're like playing and knowing that you're failing and it's, it's then there's a lot more openness to, mm. um, you know, to, to go there. Yeah. It's like not attaching this, this value of like, Oh, I'm, I'm bad versus like, Oh, I'm just curious rather. Right. So like you, to embracing the awkwardness is a phrase that I saw that I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. You're like, you might even, I think people would benefit, and maybe this comes back to where we were earlier talking about like the playfulness or ridiculous, actually seeking out things that make you feel incredibly awkward. Actually seek them out because they will, awkwardness is just lack of, you know, lack of uh, experience. It's not very suave yet. You haven't spent the time to find your way with it. So if you do that, you know, my 10 minutes of awkward and, you know, awkward makes you warm. It gets very warm. So depending on the group, sometimes that's when we, I do like the thing that's, uh, you know, the, the awkward activity, like it's feels a little impossible, feels a little ridiculous. Um, you, you're certainly warm from like laughing or blushing at least. <laughs> it's funny because sometimes when you, well, every time when you learn, right, it could be like a little bit, awkward because you're failing but sometimes when you're um focusing on a certain thing even though you're failing you you kind of have the mindset that uh oh it's it's okay to fail but then if you kind of um kind of stray outside like the the zone of it right you fall all awkwardly then you know it's unexpected then you're 
you're kind of not ready for that that fail and you know it might if you're in a group you know in in front of everybody as well that let's say the handstand right instead of cartwheeling out you like face plant then right <laughs> yeah, yeah then you're sort of uh yeah that um curiosity that you would have got with just like failing expectedly gets replaced with like oh i that was unexpected and i don't feel so good about that anymore it's funny how these right. things develop really quickly yeah, yeah. but I, I mean i've i've fallen on my ass teaching class before like teaching a kind of a dance aerobics i'll say it was like you know cardio kind of dance class and would stepped on the you know the the heel of my pants like it slipped under my shoe and just like boom <laughs> and like but i found myself then like laughing so hard that it was hard to begin again because it took me by such surprise and like you know if if i wasn't able to meet that with laughter then you know, I wouldn't have a really hard time carrying on class and it's going to affect everyone there. And so I think even if we are in group situations and you're able to go like, well, that wasn't expected and laugh about it, it actually is going to positively affect everyone else's training because then they start to see that it's, it's okay if it doesn't go as planned. In fact, that could even be fun. <laughs> It could even be fun to, for it to not really work. Of course, falling on your face is one of the few things that I say, like, yeah, just avoid that altogether. Like that, I mean, young children maybe learn an important lesson from that. But as adults, that's, that is, if it's into the, just try not to do that category. But still, um, when, when we're training with other people and we're, um, you know, retracting from the possibility of experiencing embarrassment. Um, you're keeping yourself small and everybody else picks up on that too. So it shapes a culture. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk a little bit about, so you mentioned fluidity and how you're a teacher of fluidity. I mean, I guess uh, your website is called flow movement as well. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it makes sense, but um, yeah. Why, uh, why this fascination around the concept of fluidity? Um, one, it's elusive to many people and it's desired by many also. So simply like it, it, it's something that for many people, they, they've decided that they don't have it and they'll never have it as if it's inborn, as if it's something that you just, one has. Now I'll say that one might have it if they grew up in a particular movement discipline, like, or just their family, their people grow up with um, social dance as a part of their culture and a part of their life. They understand weight transfer and spinal movement much better than those who don't grow up with that experience. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that it's kind of counter, counter common culture in terms of like, go faster, do more. Um, I, I, attention jot 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 everywhere um so it it just provides an, an important not an important but it, it provides a very clear context for applying focus and sensing what you're doing because if we're if we're working for fluid weight transfer throughout a, a small pattern you can have the concrete 
focal point of how is my weight on the floor? How is my weight transferring along the floor? And luckily that is a contact point that for people it's, well, it's very real. We can feel the floor, but it's also a bit external. And for many people who find or experience like self-consciousness and a lot of self-doubt when they're moving, when the focus is more external, and especially when you're, you're able to touch and feel something and deliver more of your attention to that contact, it, it helps them stay present because they're not in their body going, Ooh, what's my shoulder doing? What's my spine doing? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? But you can sense weight transfer as an indicator of how fluid you're moving. Um, and as I was figuring out what, what it was that I was really teaching through particularly floor flow, um, and, and realized that I wanted to help people access a flow state through movement. I saw that the way many adults or most adults really learn, learn movement requires a lot of memorization, like choreography. They're like having to memorize sequence and learn choreography. And while there's nothing wrong with that, you spend so much time in the, the very cognitive early stages of learning. But if we can focus on feeling weight transfer and keeping it moving, like just to keep shifting uh, to, um, be able to feel kinetic energy pass through your body. Like, oh, this is what it feels like when my knee moves, my ankle moves, my hip moves, my spine, and it moves out through my head. And oh, there it goes again. To be able to feel those mm -hmm. waves of energy um, in the body, it's, it's much easier to stay in motion than it is to have to memorize a sequence, get good enough at it to do it and not a very thought-based state. So um, though fluidity is where we kind of begin in, in my work. Like how can we make this, how can we make this smooth, but ultimately the, the smoothness is the result of the way someone is directing their attention. It's yeah. not just the aesthetic of smoothness, but it mm -hmm. is a, it is a, um, you know, it's a marker of proficiency, efficiency, presence even and and so someone might be fluid but if you can see that their attention is like their their body might be doing something rather fluid but you could see maybe uh that they're they're somewhere else they're processing something or their attention is is shooting around not really staying connected to their body their breath and music if that's something that they're interacting with um it will only become more fluid when they can have a smoother a smoother shift of their attention from external to internal so yeah do you have like a a list of a, a certain components from your of, of how you think about fluidity and then how you help people achieve fluidity yeah um and it certainly isn't uh you know in, in no, a numerical order it's not all of it's non-linear but there's certain uh properties or i'll call them like points of entry and one is, can you feel what you're attached to? Because this could be the floors, could be a chair, a, a pole, some other apparatus, but like, do we really want to feel what we're attached to? And then can you find some weight shifting on your points of attachment? Because uh, what you'll find for many people is say they're standing and 
they are learning how to maybe move like their shoulders. They're shifting their rib cage and their shoulders side to side. Their feet are like cemented to the floor. And those people that are kind of learning now, of course, if we're really trying to learn, you know, what's often called isolations, you may, yes, maybe you're immobilizing the bottom area of the body for the purpose of learning to disassociate and move one region. But in, then when we're like, we're wanting movement, we're wanting continuous movement, you know, you're going to feel how shoulders is shifting something at your feet. Or perhaps by these really subtle weight shifts in your feet, you'll all of a sudden find that your entire body can open to movement. So can you feel what you're attached to? And can you find some shifting and rocking and rolling there? That's, those, are, those are major because movement, right, it's traveling from that, that contact point outwards. Um, often people start their, maybe their, their search for fluid movement in by maybe like moving their spine or something to that effect or like moving the limbs but i i usually go contact outwards not that that's the only way but it, it is particularly effective because it gives people also something very specific to feel and to keep returning their attention to um so that being aware of what you're aware of knowing where you're paying what you're paying attention to um so that's you know, just like a mindfulness meditation, knowing if you're, when you're moving, if your attention has gone into like a dialogue or if you're planning, or are you still paying attention to your feet, feeling the floor? <laughs> that's, that's important. Um, and then, so the rocking kind of leads to like larger weight transfers. If you were shifting onto one point of contact and needing to move to another, so then it begins to travel more through space. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are big ones. I breath is a component of this, but I don't tend to use breath as a first gateway to movement for a number of reasons, but particularly people that have experienced trauma, whether in their life, whether like capital T incidents, or even just the, you know, constant stress of living in the modern world, going right to the breath can actually be rather anxiety inducing for, for many people. But if we're, if we're kind of already in a movement state and we start to notice and invite more breath, I say like, let breath be more a part of what you're doing, then that becomes another, um, you know, ingredient that can, that can keep us in motion and keep us uh, focused on what we're doing. It's like these sensitivity factors, right, that um, start developing and then from that that gives you this awareness to take um, more coordinated action potentially, or more, yeah. I'm trying to use another word other than fluid here, but <laughs> uh, yeah. with, um, with this sort of approach, do you, when you are teaching people like movements, is it still focused around certain specific, like what you may term like skill movements as well, but then it's through the process of learning these or the manifestation of these where you, draw a stronger focus rather than the technical execution of the skill, but to these qualities? It depends on the class. Cause I, I do teach people to do specific things as well. You know, like, all right, we're, we're learning this move. Um, but I always am bringing it back to the importance that they can connect that to everything else rather than learning a move in isolation that they only can practice 
in the context of practicing that one thing. So I, I'm wanting people to be able to find connections and to also view it from a different angle. You know, like when you're the person, well, go back to handstands, like doing the handstand, your experience of the handstand might really be like your eyes, seeing your hands, seeing the floor. And that's like really the angle that you watch, you experience your handstand from, but like learning to see yourself from the outside as you do it, learning to watch yourself from behind and to like see yourself from these different angles um, that can be really, uh, <laughs> it can open up a lot of creative possibilities, but also for people bring them into a state of deeper presence than they have experienced before. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for me, connecting, making a skill connect to to other things, but and being able to sense the the most fundamental properties of a skill, like what are the directions that we're applying force into the ground, and with how much speed, because you know, moving at the pace of a sloth versus moving really explosively or traveling like horizontally along the floor versus vertically, it could all start from the exact same point of contact, the same part of the body maybe touching the floor but how you start to like connect with the floor in anticipation of what you're about to do and really getting sensitive to that what's the weight shift that's about to happen how are you loading um what is your directional intention those things are all this kind of back to what i was saying as the, the foundation but they're going to be there no matter what we're building on and how have you ended up with specifically like the floor and pole as I guess your main areas of, of teaching apparatus, as you might say? Yeah. Um, well, I started pole about 15 years ago, just out of curiosity. I went and took a class and frankly, the class was not great, but I saw and felt that there was a lot of potential to explore, to, to, to move with the pole in like many ways that, maybe I had done outside of the context of pole before. Um, and I started teaching right away. And at that time, um, there weren't that many people doing it. So I got in at a, at a, at a good time and I've just been endlessly in love with it. Unwavering love for pole because it's floor or it's air or it's around. Like there's just so many ways that you can use it. Whereas other like aerial apparatuses, you're, it's, it's harder to be in contact with the ground the way you mm. can with the pole. Um, so it's, it really uh, proposes that you move in circles. It, it is round and you are round and you go in circles around it. And I'm just, I'm just a circle addict basically. <laughs> circles and spirals all, all day long. Um, but I really I have always been drawn to any movement form that is, has, is like built on curves. And so like capoeira, love, love to watch, love to learn. Um, so that, that certainly with, with pole and then with floor also have always liked that. I mean, perhaps I'm liking things with, that involve a lot of contact and connection and the ability to really like push and pull with all surfaces of my body. Um, but floor, particularly, I've never seen another way of moving that can bring together so many different bodily capacities, so many different movement backgrounds, ages, 
um, get them all in one room, get them to stop worrying about what other people are doing and seeing and thinking because everybody's low on the ground. So it brings people into this like kind of a, a comfort of being in contact with the ground very often. Um, I've had rooms of people where there are teenage movers and like 80 year olds and all different body sizes, all the playing with the floor. And it's so, it's so beautiful to, to have something where that actually works for people that has legitimate functional carryover. Like being able to get up and down from the floor with ease is really important. Mm. Uh, but I don't have to even say that. It's just what, what we do as we play with the floor. Um, and yeah, I think the, the, gravity being able to being able to release into gravity so much of the time and being able to notice when you're on the floor versus when you're resting into the floor or when you're letting the floor hold you um, is very down regulating for people so to have a movement practice when they come out of it and they just feel completely like refreshed a little bit uh zenned out um many people start to find comfort in a sensual exploration like being able to feel their breath being able to feel touch both on the floor like letting their hands slide across their body when in other movement contexts that's um not really included or mm. not really they don't feel welcome but on the floor yeah people feel a sense of permission to soften to de-armor um to play to act like different things <laughs> you know <laughs> it's so yeah, I, it's just, it's, it, but mostly um, I, it's the best movement modality I've ever seen for getting people to, to really land, land in their, in their body and to move continuously, particularly, I think, because they're not seeing what everybody else is doing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there is something magical, I think, about um, just rolling around on the floor. Maybe it's also that tactility that you um, talked about because it's like enveloping you all over, but, you know, something that I've been playing around with a, a lot more and there's um yeah the feeling is is very different to you know if i'm being more dynamic on my feet practicing capoeira or, or doing something else versus if i'm like softening in the ground rolling or even doing something a bit more like um yeah a bit more dive rolling if it's it also like invites a bit of a playful nature because there's something about just like rolling around where um if it, it feels like um, if anything, you can just transition into like a side lying roll and keep on rolling. And then that, that can just, I mean, you're talking about flow as well. It seems to be able to, to, to feel natural to link up into certain different things and to keep on going around, as you say, in, in circles, like, I don't know what it is, but well, the roll is a very like, I guess, a primitive or fundamental movement that most if not everybody can do right um, and you could just keep on doing that for forever yeah and even doing it for two minutes for most people they'll come out of it going wow i feel better <laughs> in some way they feel better they've been moving in a way that um is largely agreeable and the floor gives us a great place to notice like if something isn't working maybe your knee doesn't bend a certain way like it doesn't feel good when you twist to keep keep exploring and find the way that does, that does work, um, there. So yes, it's, it's intoxicating <laughs> in some ways, all of that squishing. 
Have you explored uh, many other movement practices? In my life, yeah. Um, I mean, many, many forms of dance. Uh, my life has really been based around exploring and learning dance for like 32 years of that. And so, um, and then I used to work in the gym and fitness world a lot. So uh, many, I guess I'll call them like approaches to strength and conditioning experience that um, and have <laughs> like my, yeah, my life has pretty been much been around like dabbling into movement forms, but would have not really done much martial arts whatsoever. Mm. That's been like do a little, or I'm very close to people who are very deeply involved who teach dance. So their dance is very informed by the martial arts, you know? Mm. So that's, that's different than doing the form, of course, like being yeah. immersed in the culture that gave rise to a form is very different from learning from someone who did that and then integrates it into their practice. So Hmm. Um, so recently I've been seeing you, you know, hit the gym doing some, yeah. you know, weighted squats, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, is there, is there a big focus in your practice to, which isn't like a dance form, but I don't know what you call it, like a general capacity work on strength and flexibility that you focus on? Well, the, the, I found myself in the gym because I don't have access to a pole right now. So, um, but it's been a gift because I often, as I don't know, past like nine or 10 years, would always put my like dance time, which is, you know, creative time, like finding new pathways, exploring possibilities. That would be a, my priority because it's the most enjoyable. It's fulfilling on multiple levels. Like it checks the box on, yes, I'm moving my body. Yes, I'm getting stronger and more mobile because of the choices I make. But of course it gives rise to all of the imbalances that having only a creative practice may give. So um, it's been really lovely to go and do just some really fundamental symmetrical things, <laughs> pulling with and pushing with both limbs at the same time. Um, but uh, so it's kind of it, the, my situation gave rise to me spending several months in, in the gym, but um, though I may not make as much time for it, if I have access to a pole, because we only have so much energy we can spend in a day on movement practice. And that is, has always been the, the reality check of like, you can't do all of the things all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I, right now I've been in this more, you know, conditioning, strength and conditioning phase. And then soon I'll be back in creative land and looking forward to seeing what sort of carryover, um, you know, is there. But I, I have, I did injure my hip pretty severely about a year ago. I like twisted out of something and tore my labrum in my hip. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's like a, a pretty bad injury. I couldn't walk for several weeks. So um, I have been trying to lay down some, some new pathways, some new muscle tissue around my, my left hip here. Well, both hips, but <laughs> particularly the left. Um, and so, yeah, this, this, this kind of work has been really important for that. I'm a big, I, I vouch for it. I just have, I'm also like an artist of movement. And so you can't, <laughs> if you're only doing the, all the conditioning all of the time, you won't also be able to do, you know, the artistry stuff. So. They always say that with uh, injuries as well, you know, that they provide sometimes the greatest lessons. So from 
this one, were there any like particularly, you know, uh, strong realizations or learning points that stood out? So, you know, I, I certainly growing up in dance, you do a lot of things where you're exploiting your flexibility, your mobility, like sitting in a chair in a deep oversplit for a long period of time as you're just trying to get as bendy as possible to be as impressive as possible. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I continued doing that up through my mid 20s as a competitive pole dancer, because like being kind of contortion level flexibility is revered. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I did many things in my life that set me up for <laughs> joint instability um, despite work I did after that to try to change that pathway. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm increasingly cautious with time about uh, pushing, really pushing towards end ranges of motion because with my body and my history, it, um, tends to be an opening for an injury. So, um, yeah, just kind of confirmation that as impressive as it might be, and as many people in the world that might drool over your deepest split, biggest bend, um, it might not be worth it. It mm. really might not be worth it in the end. So, um, that's, uh, that's where I am now. I'm not, not choosing not to push it. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a situation where you, I feel a lot of tightness, right. And like earlier in my life, considerably earlier, we would associate, well, that needs to really needs to get opened up and needs to get stretched and learning to just like, let it be, let it take its time to work its way out, doing things to support healing, but not trying to expedite it right? You can do things that are, that create more opportunities for healing, like nourishing it, but not trying to make it go faster. Um, so I'm testing that out for a change. <laughs> it really yeah. is a bit of that, um, patience management, I think, especially as like, once you start, um, being opened up to the, you know, the, the, the wide world of movement practices and the, the wonderful world of learning how to move in all these different ways. And then if you do get an injury, it's like, ah, oh, I can, I can fix myself faster if I do, do more stuff. Right. And sometimes it's a bit of that. I know you just need to let go and just, just actually rest or do less to, yeah. to, to help it along shift to my focus. So I, I, in many ways, I haven't really been focusing on the injury. I'm focused on other stuff like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, getting stronger, learning some new skills, um, and then doing the supportive things. But that's often like when you're a professional mover, and particularly when you're like a performance artist, you're like, you want to get that injury back to in operation. And you tend to focus kind of rather narrowly on you know, whether it's like the rehab exercises or whatever you got to do, keep tracking it, keep watching it. Is it hurting today? How was it feeling today? Kind of almost like obsessing over it. And I'm, I'm trying out something different <laughs> this mm. time. And I think you um, posted something recently as well about like this youthful movement plan, which was, um, I thought that youthful. Was, yes. My youthful. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was interesting that I wanted to bring up as well. And um, yeah, maybe can you explain a little bit more about this um, orientation? Yeah. Um, well, my youthful plan is, is built around considering how I'd like to move in the future 
you know, whether that's five years from now or like, I was about to say 50 and then I have to do some math. Yeah. 50. I, I might still be around in 50 years. Um, and you know, there's like the, the qualities that we usually associate with youthful movement are like a springiness, a bounciness, a lightness, a willingness, um, and speed, quickness, reactivity, uh, those sorts of things. Um, of course, like mobility and strength, like having muscle mass. Yes, yes, we know those, but like really like qualities of movement. And, you know, unfortunately, the, that like springiness and and like bounciness and resilience and almost I'm thinking of, you know, the bouncy balls that have the balls that are, they're facing all different sides on the bouncy ball. So you don't know which way it's going to mm. go. They're like reaction balls, almost like that quality to yourself yeah. rather than like you bounce up and down, straight up and down in the same spot. You're like, you almost don't know where they're going to go. Woo. Um, that to bring that in today, like if you're walking down the street, just like remember to like bounce a little bit while you do it. Uh, take a couple skips mm. because those are, that's precisely what we see people stop doing as they move into adulthood and increasingly as time goes on. So, um, I am, yeah, the, bring those into my movement, not necessarily because I think right now, gosh, I'd really like to be bouncier. I'd like to be skipping. I mean, it's fun. I like it. It feels good, <laughs> but also like, I really want to still be able to do that and willing to do that later on so gotta gotta keep doing it um particularly with the fluidity aspect and pole dance and floor work there's not a lot of bounciness <laughs> it's like quite non-bouncy so it's important for me to, to do that uh as well just for 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 balance but i really see it missing like for many people they're jumping is like skipping rope or like jumping jacks or something repetitive and torturous but just maybe you could just have more of that throughout your day. Like if you're walking up the stairs, mm -hmm. do it, do it bouncier. <laughs> it's kind of going back to what we talked about, about like transacting for playfulness versus like just being playful. It's like the, this, this feeling of like, Hey, I'm just going to be a bit more lighter on my feet. It doesn't have to mean that I'm going to jump the rope for 10 minutes so that I can get boxes, you know, light, light feet doesn't doesn't quite happen like that it's like this uh, yeah being mechanical versus embodying it perhaps yeah I, lo I love that and i i would you know turn that into a a thought a thought prompt that gives way to movement practice which is like choose the exercise that you do for a given result and let's say it's i you know i jump rope because i want to have like springy ankles and maybe it's for some cardio too like can you how could you bring that like the springy ankles into your day? Not necessarily to give up the jump roping, but maybe to find that like crossover to embody the quality. Um, and it might really, not that it might, it does change your experience of the everyday. It really does. If you're, if you're always walking up the stairs in the same manner and into the kitchen on in the same way, and you just find the opportunity to like skip some steps I sometimes catch myself having seeing possibilities and then not thought, not moving through with them. And then I'll go back and redo it mm -hmm. because I feel this, I do. I feel a little like disappointed sometimes that I, I have the impulse and I'm suppressing it. Like walking down the street and I see a curb and I'm like, I see the curb and I almost, it's like a very subtle awareness of a possibility of interacting with it. But mm -hmm. then I, I didn't and I'll go back and like just, you know, <laughs> 
pop off the curb. Um, So that that starts to be maybe like my first impulse is to actually follow through with it, not to suppress it. Mm -hmm. I like that because that's almost like the real practice, right? Instead of just like in the focused practice time where it's like, you know, getting stronger or more lightly, it's, you've got all these other hours in the day where you have these habitual movement patterns or or routines, right? Which um, that's, that's really the step towards embodying it where Mm -hmm. like, what are you going to be doing all throughout the day rather than just when you think that you're practicing? Right now. And now I'm here. We're on the podcast. I just want to like jump up and down a few times. Hold on. (laughs) You can do it with me. Do it with me. We need to bounce a little bit. We got to shake it out. I hope if you're listening that you're also bouncing and shaking it out. Uh Uh-huh. Right. You can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. Uh Uh-huh. See, how's it feeling over there? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling. We're we're shaking all the way from East Coast of the United States (laughs) to the East Coast of Australia right now. (laughs) See? Uh, And then everything's better. Everything's better after this. It always is. It always is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I must say throughout this whole chat, you've been um, moving like quite quite a lot from side to side especially when you were listeners won't be able to see but when you were discussing fluidity and then you were doing these hand motions as well which was like i was like she's very she's very fluid yeah (laughs) she knows what she's talking about (laughs) oh thank you probably one of the one of my the greatest compliments that i received about my teaching i don't know the words but it was it was that really it was about how little I'm just talking about what we're going to do, but instead it's that I create the experiences for the people in the room to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the result being that, wow, I really, I get, I get it from the class and it's like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> in some ways podcasts are hard because I'm, I don't have the opportunity to <laughs> stop the conversation <laughs> and create a game around it. But um so that's my challenge, but, uh, yeah, well, thank you I, for bouncing with me. Yeah. I think that was the first movement prompt in, in a movement prop podcast. So maybe that's something that I should actually do more often. Yes, we need that. Um, I, I fantasize about, about that, like movement podcasts where they actually involve some, some opportunities for movement. So I think there's been some nuggets in here for the listener to notice. <laughs> Maybe it could come up with some more ideas, but perhaps I would I'd say like, don't wait on them. If don't like thinking about movement without actually moving can be great. You might have wonderful insights, but then like act on them, mm-hmm. just act on them. Um, stand up and shake your butt and brainstorm. Don't <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be, they don't have to be separate. So, so I wanted to um, ask you about uh, the polls specifically, because, you know, this is something I've never tried. Um, and I guess, do you ever have like many males turned up to pole dance class? Because what's maybe some some of the most beneficial things you think that um people can learn if they were to take up this this art form yeah well of course we have we have all all types of people 
that pursue pole because ultimately the pole is just an object. <laughs> it's a different axis. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, the, the pole only has a, a symbolism or we associate it with particular skills, particular ways of moving. Many people go, oh my God, pole dancing, that's so hard. You have to be so strong to do that. Well, you have to be so strong to do some things, but you certainly don't have to be so strong in order to interact with a post. <laughs> right? It's like a stable thing that you could do literally whatever you want. Choose your movement practice. It doesn't matter if it's parkour, if it's kung fu, if it's ballet, if it's salsa, you can apply interacting with a pole to whatever you do. And incredible things happen from now having this stable other access to interact with. So, um, there are as many ways of moving with the pole as there are people and their and their individual movement interests. Is it could it be a place for like insane calisthenic expressions of power and strength? Of course. Of course. It can also be just like a thing you hang off of and, and like create really great stretches on. You know, so so many possibilities. And that's also why I'm I love it so much as, as helping people see other, other possibilities. Um, pole is actually tremendous for people who are, you know, maybe cha challenged with balance in some way. I would, I am waiting for the opportunity to get to have uh, a group of older adults, our, our elders, our seniors, and get to, to take them through some pole things because it's actually amazing to have something stable to hold on to while you move and mobilize. So um, it hasn't happened yet, but that's my dream. <laughs> it's funny how the, um, yes, sometimes the certain, uh, social, like look on a certain, uh, apparatus or a certain area can really almost cut off the opportunity for certain people to start interacting and trying something like a, like, like the pole, right? <laughs> it's the same as the gym equipment, right? Mm. It's the same. It's like we we're seeing, we see the object and we have all these associations about who it's for, how they should move, how they should be, what you should be wearing, what you shouldn't do, who shouldn't touch it. You know, all of this baggage that stands in the way of uh, feeling good and exploring possibilities. Um, so that's, I think that that kind of taps into like back to my, my greater purpose in, in movement is helping people see the unseen possibilities to feel safe, exploring them to feel safe, like dabbling into uh, ways of being and moving that maybe don't align with the identity that you've created for yourself throughout your life. Um, and uh you know, it's like kind of a, a yes and to movement possibilities. Like, yeah, you could do it like this and you could do it like this. <laughs> and what else? And how else? That's, you know, it really fires me up. Mm. And where do you look for maybe like creative inspiration if you're kind of like, oh, maybe I'll play with this. Or maybe like you don't really have any ideas coming to you. Um, where would you look you know, I, I have to give you my honest first answer for that. And I actually have the most ideas when I'm not looking anywhere because it's, we are getting so much information 
about possibilities that it can become rather paralyzing when we're actually on our own because we're so informed by what everyone else is doing and all these other approaches that when I actually find myself like somehow not informed by what's going on in the outside world, not watching all the things and reading all the things, which is how I am. I am a like obsessive <laughs> learner. Oh man, it's like, the, you know, the greatest ideas do come from that. So it, it's rather than looking out for inspiration, it's actually like carving out some space and some time to just, to just be and play for me. Um, but if I was going to recommend to, to someone else where to look, um, hmm. I would, I would say look for a person outside that like has a little bit of an openness to them. Like their energy is giving off. Like there's a little bit of an openness to them, but they're also maybe not moving. And you see how you could kind of shape yourself or like find a way to interact with them, whether it's verbally or like gesturally just to see what happens so that it's not just all about you, but like of how you could impact uh, someone else. Like I find myself when I go to a cash register at a grocery store, I'll sometimes just the way I will like say hello, I don't know, I end up moving in a way that seems normal to me, but I see them kind of respond to it like, oh, this person has life inside of them. And then, uh, you know, it, 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 it's contagious that way. So those are, and then I find myself feeling even more energized from getting to have that impact on someone else's day. I almost think this would be great to have like the Marlo show where you follow a camera following you around as you, as you help people like express themselves more in their body, even when they're waiting on the train station and there's another guy on the other platform looking at you, you know, squatting down, moving around your, your shoulders. It'd be great. Yeah, it would. It would. I'm up for it. I just need that camera crew. But I will. Sh I'm going to shout out one book that I um, have been following the author for a while, and it, I love it so much. The Art of Noticing by Rob Walker. It's oh, nice. really. A, it's a. It's really a bunch of prompts about where to, what to pay attention to, to shift what you've been paying attention to, and. It does not matter what you are, what your pursuit is, whether it's writing or, or movement or songwriting, like you're going to find uh, inspiration uh, through this work. And I, and I, maybe there's a parallel to what I was saying of like looking outside of yourself or finally creating the space to really be with yourself are really, um, you know, wells of creative possibility that we miss out when we're trying to look, look to everyone else to give us the inspiration mm. that then we do something with. I guess that's part of the grounding process that you help people with as well, because sometimes, you know, it's quite confronting to be when you're just by yourself, right? Because when you take away all the stimulation and then there's nothing there as well, that can be that can be the nether region right and it's like oh i don't i don't really want to want to go there it takes um it also takes training and practice right to to get to that state where you where you once you experience it you actually go oh that was really good i i need more of that as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's exactly feeling the ground 
around <laughs> for everyone listening you can feel feel under your butt or whatever is under <laughs> under you right now hmm you gotta snuggle into it a little bit sometimes not just rest on it <laughs> you gotta snuggle it smear yourself mm-hmm. so you know i've sort of um for the listeners here we're at sort of odd time zones because uh, I'm talking and it's almost like 11 o'clock at, at night and uh, on your side I think it's uh, what eight nine nine a.m. Yeah. so you know what what do you normally do in in the morning do you have like a certain morning routine that you go through yes I have been studying lucid dreaming a bit recently so an important first thing is to recall your dreams as much as you can and I'm writing them down. So that's a first. Um, I then do some kind of meditation or mindfulness thing, which takes some different shapes. I'm also studying realization process, which is like a very, very embodied approach to meditation, a somatic meditation that I, that I highly recommend, love it. So I sometimes will do some realization process work or I'll do my own thing or I'll put on some kind of very ambient sound and like be on the floor with myself. So it, it shapes, but I always try to do something in the morning that um, allows me to observe what thought patterns or and work on doing something other than planning because I plan so well. <laughs> I plan very, very well, <laughs> very experienced. Um, and then um, on, right, and I go move in the mornings usually do do a do a gym thing here and if i had a pole i would dance in the mornings until i'm too hungry to function there would be some snacking that happened throughout all that but then then a big meal has to come on and and i do some work but i am definitely happiest when movement is how i start my day Mm. no question there's a rare time that i feel a real like a burst of inspiration to write something so i might spend an hour in there writing or journaling, but I, I really like to uh, have the possibility to follow creative whims. So while a routine is, is really lovely, I also leave the space for today. I actually might not feel like moving. I might need to write something and then maybe that will bring me to, to movement or I'm feeling like I've been really putting some work thing off. Let me get that done first. So there's some there's some flexibility there, but always, always want to move in the mornings somehow. I think it's just part of like then it feels natural to wake up the body like that, right? Like um recently I've really been enjoying that whilst being outside and then looking at the sky especially as well um and just allowing all that light come in like there's nothing quite quite like that i found that that as compared to like moving inside there's a different quality there to just like really being out there and then just drinking it all in yeah absolutely morning sunshine morning walks morning breathing all so good outside way better (laughs) but you're allowed to leave your house that you're allowed to go outside you just can't go anywhere else is that what's happening one of the essential reasons is for exercise so you know i'm exploiting that for (laughs) okay all the authorized allocated time that they give us which i think now is increased to four hours which is great (laughs) wow my goodness if only everyone moved for four hours, you know? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody better use up their time slots. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been, um, yeah, a wonderful chat to get to know you, Marlo. And um, I really appreciate you jumping on here. Uh, for, I guess, all the listeners um, who are interested in your work and want to find out more about you, like, uh, yeah, what are your upcoming movements uh, from here for the next few months? Yeah, I, I don't really have anything that anyone can participate in because everything is already happening and it's full, which is a good a good problem to have. But um, I'd say go to my Instagram page, Mar- at Marlo Fiskin or at Flow Movement, which honestly is totally neglected. Uh, compared to Marlo Fiskin, I do have some starter, uh, a, a movement course that's like intro to ease of movement, which is some floor thing, some things that I call flowability, which is like mobility with a bit more undulation <laughs> to it, um, a bit more exploration in the mix. And I send out newsletters with fun movement things and, and blogs and that kind of stuff. So you can be on that list. Um, and then I'll see you on the internet or hopefully I'll see you in the real world. We can get together somewhere. Let's all meet up yeah, and well, skip. I hope you'll uh, be able to do more international workshops once again, you know, maybe make it all the way over to Australia. Um, yeah. Cause it'd be wonderful. And then, yeah, would love to have the, uh, have the honor of, um, of learning your approach. Cause yeah, it definitely sounds like very interesting and be challenged in different ways as, as well. I think I might, yeah, go mess around on the, the, the pole, which, uh, on the playground, which my daughter normally plays at and try and hang off that and see what happens. <laughs> exactly. So you are, you have plenty of homework until I, until I get there. <laughs> yeah. but well, thank I, you so much for having me on. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure. And, um, I, I always love the opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff. So thank you for making it happen. Well, that's it, guys. That's episode 58. Thanks to Marlo once again for jumping on the podcast. Really appreciate her sparing her time and her perspective there, her playfulness as well, her energy. Hope you guys enjoyed that little movement break. You know, in these long conversations, I think I probably need to make them a bit more of a feature. I mean, it is a movement podcast, isn't it? And thanks to you guys for your support, for listening, for reaching out to me, for helping me still feel and stay connected, especially in this challenging time, especially, I guess, in here in Australia, where in Melbourne, we're still in lockdown. So this virtual community has really provided me with a sense of continual belonging throughout this period. So thank you guys. Once again, if you want to get in touch, please feel free to contact me via the website at thepassivehang.com or on Instagram, that's at P. that's P-H-A-O-N-P. Otherwise, I have more plans for more podcasts. They will be coming. I can't wait to share them with you. I can't wait to connect with these individuals coming up. It's going to be really exciting. I'll see you guys in the next episode.